Computer Park Podcast, Voices from the Parks. Welcome everyone to this new podcast. Today I'm very pleased to be accompanied by somebody from Europark Federation who has been the president of our institution since 2014 and who has a long trajectory as an environmentalist. We are talking about Ines Shops. Ines, welcome and thanks for taking the time to do this interview. Yeah, it's my pleasure to do so. First, I would like to give our listeners some information about you. You are an herpetologist by career, and you clearly have shown great dedication to nature protection. You have been internationally awarded for your endeavors. Amongst others, you received the Goldman Environmental Prize Award for the creation of the first national park in Belgium, the Hoge Kempen National Park. Likewise, you are considered to be one of the most influential people from Belgium, thanks to your work on climate change and the protection of the environment. Yeah. But let's go back in time for a second. I understand that you grew up in a mining environment and being yourself the son of a miner, can you tell us a bit more about your childhood? Where did you grow up? Who were your role models and how, coming from this context, you ended up choosing a career in the environmental field and battling climate change? Yeah, thank you for the question. Uh, yes, to talk about my childhood, I have to go uh, way back, of course. Uh, but uh, it is correct that I grew up in a coal mining region. Uh, my father was a coal miner as well. My mother was a housewife. And uh, let's say I lived in the rural area with a lot of, let's say, wildlife. But I was not aware of, let's say, the context where I'm now working in and then working on. Uh, so as a young kid, I was, of course, attracted by wildlife immediately. And I remember a small story there, which maybe uh, bridged uh, the, let's say, my, my energy to, towards biodiversity. And it was like, I think I was nine or 10 years old uh, when I was playing at the backyard in the meadows of my, my house. And at some hedges, I was yes, playing around with friends. And suddenly I saw a ladybird, a small beetle, Mm -hmm. the, the, the orange beetle with the black dots and I was so impressed by the beauty of that small beetle and I thought by myself if this beetle could be mine that would be wonderful so what I did then I uh, went back to my father in my home and my father was sleeping and he was smoking the pipe at the time so I stole his box of matches I, I get rid of the matches, of course, and then I ran back to the hedge in the meadow and tried to find my ladybird. And so, yeah, at the end, I found one, maybe not the same one, but I found one and I put it in the box of matches uh, with some leaves of grass because I thought it needs to eat as well. But it was mine and I was really, really, really happy because I could open the box whenever I liked and I could see my beautiful ladybird. But of course... You know what happens then uh, then after three days i need yeah i need to move the box myself to to move the the ladybird because it died in, in, in less than three days and later on when i became like 20 years maybe 19 i don't remember but then i suddenly understood that my box of matches told me a very 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 important story about biodiversity that if we put off uh, uh, nature biodiversity into boxes if we jail wildlife 
we don't uh, let's say uh, evolve into a good situation we we don't like to be in jails and if you don't give water and the real food and to 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 to, to wildlife it dies uh, so and it goes even further the sulfur of these matches this is also pollutes polluted of course was was also a little bit contaminated in the box then it, of course the story of the box with matches told me such a beautiful lesson that i thought okay if this is the story of a box with matches is this if this is the story that the ladybird wants to tell to me i maybe have to find also a way out for myself because it gave me a lot of joy to be in nature then when i grew older like yeah like 90 20 21 years old i really uh, focused myself on what would i would like to do in the future life and then of course the box and the ladybird came back in my mind and i said okay i'm going to focus on wildlife on biodiversity uh, and that was also the time when, let's say, the coal mines were maybe going down already because you have to know this region where I live. Uh, yeah, over at, at one point, more than 80,000 people were uh, making their living out of the coal mines. Yeah. Uh, and then suddenly in 1991, so yeah, some years ago, uh, so uh, they, they, the last coal mine closed and 60,000 people became unemployed. Of course. And uh, that's where I, with some friends and also uh, some some colleagues, started to think about doing things differently and use the the, the beautiful heritage as as a tool for change as well. Yeah, and yeah, it's, it's a great an analogy. It's a great story. The 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 ladybug, and the, well, I guess we all that work in conservation we have similar stories. And it seems that you have been really involved since a young age in in the local community. So I would like to know if you found any role model in that community, either in your at, at local level or international level, that really. Um, inspire you that really you were thinking, okay, I want to be this person and I want to follow this path. Yeah, well, there, there are two, I think. Uh, of course, there was a local, let's say, teacher that uh, was really fond of, of wildlife and he was, at the, uh, yeah, one point or the other, he was catching me at the right, with the right words uh, on saying, hey, maybe that's something for you. Maybe you have to think not only as to become, a, a, let's say, a volunteer in wildlife, but I think you have the skills to, to do really do things and change things. It was a local guy who was then the conservator. So let's say the, the, the guy who was leading a local creek, valley of a, of a local creek, the Black Creek, uh, who was really, really doing tremendous work. And I always thought, wow, what fantastic things he can do, uh, protecting wildlife and protected area, in protected areas. And then of course, at the international level, there was Jane Goodall, and Jane Goodall, who yeah, yeah, was yeah, incremental globally, and still is, still is as a as an yeah old young woman of I think 86 now, uh, and that was I think my example for saying okay, let's let's use her and all her let's say her energy and her wise words to guide me for the for the next uh, let's say decades for my professional life. Yeah, and it's amazing how these persons can really change uh, many, many people's uh, lives just by inspiration, especially, for example, speaking about Jane Goodall, she's still active. I recently saw her in a, in a, well, in a film um, contest and 
you see what's given us. Yeah, and the, the circle the circle is round. And because last year, the organization where I'm now the director of the Regional Landscape Camp in Amazant, we, we, yeah. we were celebrating our 30th anniversary. Then I invited Jane Goodall to give a keynote. And that was so beautiful that also then at the end of, of, of a huge period of 30 years time that she came back and, and, and was really again so energizing at the, at this age where so many young people listened to her and and were again inspired to do the same thing so that's fantastic yeah yes i, I find this uh, really astonishing and i'm sure many many people has the same um at least like memories from the childhood of being inspired by by persons uh, like jane goodall on the other hand i would like to focus a bit on the on the potential or existing conflict between conservation and development and you being from this uh, gold mine area i'm sure you have uh, been in touch with it uh, along your career and since an early stage so what will be your strategy if you already have one you can tell us on finding the balance between these two between conservation and development is there a balance is there a possible way out there a win-win situation for both Yes, there is. And I think that as an environmental movement, we have to learn quickly uh, how to do so, because I think all the uh, building blocks are there. It's the way how we build this new, let's say, confident and also strong evidence that there is a huge connection between conservation and development. And for sure, if you invest in conservation, there is a huge, let's say, outcome social economically. Um, so, and that's why I think that it is impossible that besides the value of biodiversity, we have to talk about the value of nature socially and economically as well. And this is, this is recently, it becomes of course more and more topic, but um, it is so important because I, like I said before, I'm an herpetologist. I was talking about frogs and, and lizards and and, yeah. and and snakes to politicians and say you have to do and you have to, yeah, to to safeguard them. But then, of course, later on, they, these ministers they told me I cannot do anything with a story about a snake or a tree frog at the table of ministers. So we. Uh, very soon, and in, the, in, the, in the, the context where I was living with the, the closing of the coal mines, I, I very, very soon I became aware that I have to learn the language that they spoke. So it's about translation. And so I tried to translate a tree frog or a butterfly or an orchid into a, an economic language. Yeah. Not stopping to have the desire of and so for me it's still protection of wildlife but i try to translate it in that different language and uh, suddenly when yeah it, it, it took some years of course to to try to to feel and to see and to find that the right tone to to express these values to politicians and other let's say uh ceos of big companies but once i was let's say yeah well uh, i felt quite good with my translation, I saw that things really became to change because it was a translation of a dream where they, what they could understand. And then of course, when, once they give me at the beginning, it was a kind of a benefit of the doubt when I start to talk about the desire of a national park and they said, oh, what a beautiful story, but will it become the truth? 
And of course, they gave me the benefit of the doubt. And that's good, of course, that at a certain moment, there is some confidence between, let's say, parties who didn't work together all, all day long. But very soon after, I could really bring evidence to the table. I could really showcase that investing in wildlife, investing in protected areas could bring and jobs and also a better GDP. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting how this uh, tendency to separate nature from development exists globally. It's like uh, it's something that we are born with and that we really uh, have a really interiorized in our, in our minds that there are two separate things. And it's interesting also how communications, how learning the language of the other parties is what can uh, make the change actually. Yeah, and that's, I, I think what you say now is very important, is about separation. And that's mm. what we thought that was a solution. We will separate things. We will make protected areas. And then in, in, a, in a way, you, you put this, this, this new separation was done. This is the nature reserve or the protected area, and it's caged in it. Mm -hmm. And there is another one, two or five or 15 kilometers ahead of, of the, this, uh, this protected areas. And in between, everything was possible, industrialization, urbanization, name it, and you got it. So the connectivity of our protected areas, which was one, once was really, that was the, the standard, mm -hmm. uh, was completely gone. And that's where we now become aware of that this connectivity, the reconnection of what we once have separated is the big, big win in the future. And that's why now also like Natura 2000, which is, let's say, our green belt throughout Europe, we see that it is not enough, enough to have only the Net Natura 2000, work, uh, 2000 network uh, as a protected in, in Europe, but also all, let's say, the, the open areas. We need to reconnect that, revitalize it, and also renature it. Yeah. And let me stop you right there, because um, I understand that part of your work is based on the reconnection model which aims to reconnect nature with society and follows four principles, which I'm gonna mention uh, quickly for those that you're not um, familiar with this uh, model. Reconnect nature with nature, reconnect people with nature, reconnect business with nature, and reconnect policy with practice. So speaking about connections, the connections that you have been doing, uh, I'm referring to the connections you have been doing uh, along your uh, busy career as an environmentalist. Could you highlight the top two most pivotal or important connections of your career and explain why they were so significant? Yes, there is a message what I learned because I think it's about building connections. How do you do that? It's more, more like what, what I saw mm -hmm. internationally, but also locally, and not only in the, uh, the let's say, the, 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 the environmental movement, also the cultural movement, a lot of movements have the same problem. If they want to change things and you need other parties which are not included in your own, let's say, network, like politicians, CEOs, and so, they only start to go and ask things when they need some things. And so, you know, then you have a kind of, I have to say, an enemy relationship. You go to politicians and you say, if you don't protect this area, we will sue you. If you don't protect yeah. this area, we will, uh, you know, there is a condition. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it is crucial. And that's maybe a message for, for everyone. You need to build your network, your connection, if you don't need it. And that's where in this, in this let's say, in the space of, of 
room for everything. You can connect with people, talk about your desires, about your dreams, both without any result or any request. And that's where you build a kind of, uh, I would say, friendship. And then later on, you can say, hey, dear politician, we have a good relationship, but think about this. If we protect wildlife on such a way uh, uh, and go further in the story, then he says, okay, I, I really, uh, I have to say, I uh, trust this guy or whoever is, is, is making the story. And now I'm going with him to the store. That's, that's I think, pivotal. Eh? So that you build a network before you need it. And that's an investment. And it's hard work. It doesn't stop at five o'clock in the evening. It's, yeah, it's something where you, yeah, for me, it's passion, of course. I, I'm passionate doing, trying to do so things because we need to bridge also all these other sectors with, with wildlife because we cannot protect wildlife as an environmental movement on our own. We need all the rest. And that's, that's yeah, something that we can learn of, of course, not only within Europark, a lot of organizations, also environmental organizations locally and internationally uh, can learn and I think uh, do even more uh, of this. And I would like now to, to speak about change, um, change in society, mm -hmm. uh, change of mind. Um, you you are an, uh, an Ashoka Fellow, recognized for your work as a social entrepreneur and a full member of the Club of Rome EU chapter, and also you're part of the Algor Climate Leadership Corps. So through these organizations, you act as an ambassador of social change, and aside from the, the, the work that you have done uh, in that direction. So I would like to know if you remember any moment in your career in which you envisioned that social change happening, that a change was taking place, like for example, the, the COVID uh, marked, uh, marked uh, before and after moment in our uh, generation. Could you remember any moment that was maybe not that magnitude, but uh, in which you would stop and say, okay, this has changed thanks to our efforts? Yeah, so yeah. What I would like to answer to this is that what we face now, let's say the collapsing of our planet, climate change, biodiversity loss, social uh, uh, problems, uh, yeah, name it, and there are, you could see it only as problems, then knowing that we have just a small window of opportunities in the time, so like a decade to have our work done. Uh, for me, there was a really, for, for years, I was thinking about, oh, this is really going the wrong way and it is of course but are there some let's say some new seeds there of change are there seeds of change that could energize me and do this do the same things and of course in the past there are several people who are tremendously doing good work uh, Mahatma Gandhi things like that that was of course always an insp inspiration but for me to make a very uh, uh, rapid transition to a sustainable future systemically, I looked into the systems that are st still available today. So there is, you know, the story, the, the song, uh, there is a crack in everything. That's where the light gets in. So really deepening in the system and where there are stories to tell. And what is interesting to tell to maybe the audience is that it happened before that we in a decade could really sustain systemically change. And that's something I really would like to tell because 
people need to have these stories available for them to say, okay, it is possible. I want to go for that because what is sustainability? And I always tell a story about the, the everybody yeah. drives a car. And of course, the cars uh, industry came like 1800 yeah. something there. And we all know the, the Ford brand and the first Ford uh, type was uh, that, that was made that um, became very, very, very successful. And also other car brands followed, of course. And I always ask them to, pe to people, and I ask to the audience now, do you think that it was Ford or Volkswagen or whatever brand it is that make the car industry so successful? Well, that's a good question. That's a good question. The answer is no. It is not because of Ford or Volkswagen that the car industry became successful. The car industry became successful because of governments who constructed roads. Because at the time where Ford started with this first model, there weren't no roads. And because of the idea of, oh, the interconnection, uh, governments start to construct roads. And that's why cars could drive. And if you think about that, say, okay, so yeah. systemic changes are often made by governments. That's why also the climate change, and I come maybe later to that, uh, the, the climate agreement. But if you think about these cars, and then I go a little bit further and think about, for instance, oil or airplanes, we the, the big air, airplane uh, mm -hmm. factories, they didn't build the, uh, the airports. No, it's government who built the airports. So again there, if you look about oil or all the, let's say the pipelines are built and financed by governments. So it is possible that change can be done and governments play a huge role in that. And maybe as a, as a, as a really interesting topic here, and that's a story I like to tell because I, I just like the story that was 1961, uh, an interesting year when uh, John F. Kennedy, president of the United States, went to a university and, and started this uh, kind of a really yeah, now very known speech. It is known mm -hmm. as the moonshot, where he stated, I want to have a man on the moon in the next decade. I don't know how, maybe a giant rocket and so on and so forth. And in 1969, Apollo 11 landed on the moon and Neil Armstrong put his first left foot on the moon. So within a decade, it was possible to have a dream to put a man on the moon and it happened. So now it's up to us to find an earth shot. It's not a moonshot that we need, we need an earth shot. And to find that, let's say, all these fantastic systemic changes that can be can lead to a systemic change in the next decade. And we see some seeds of that, of course, but we need to accelerate that because just take into account how strange it is, can be. The, the financial crisis from a decade ago, I don't know if you remember, but then Europe was trying to save all these banking companies. And do you know how much money that the EU was investing to save our banks? 4.2 billion euros, a trillion euros, sorry. That's, that is unbel an unbelievable amount of money 
that uh, was spent to save us, they thought, economically, of course. But now, the, the next thing that I would like to say is that if you look to what Europe is doing um, for the Green Deal, then you see that they have 100 billion euros yeah. for the Green Deal. And so, so that's where you see that if it comes about our planet, there is less money than for our economy. Mm -hmm. So we need to change that. Kim, um, I know I wanted to go the, uh, yeah. there to the exactly to the Green Deal, um, and I wanted to ask you a direct question, which uh, you have already uh, sort of answered. How are we doing to reach the objectives of the um, climate neutral continent by 2050? The, the objectives of the EU Green Deal. Are we on time? You said that we need to accelerate, but how do you think this acceleration should take place? Who is leading this? Yeah, so so what we see is first the good news and then the bad news. The good news is that Europe for yeah, for the first time with uh, Ursula von der Leyen took the initiative to go for a green deal. For the first time, it's not economy and jobs, it is green deal. It's about climate change, biodiversity, sustainability, circular economy, farm to fork and social inclusion. Fantastic. Yeah. Really good for the first time. One continent takes the lead in that and you need to applaud for that. Now, of course, the real situation when you look to the scientific reports of IPBES or IPCC, you see that although that Europe is trying to lead on climate change, it is not enough. So we need to accelerate because otherwise we are still going down. And that's where it yet comes to now. How can we accelerate? And the thing is there that um, governments are not that uh, keen on changing and accelerating very fastly. And that's where yeah, some countries and some organizations, and I'm also doing that in, in Belgium, started climate litigation, yeah. started climate courts. And we go to court for, 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 for asking the, the court to yeah to oblige governments to do more for climate change yeah and one of the examples um if i recall well is the climate attack um litigation that you did with uh well that you um yeah. contributed with uh, uh with the belgian government and well let me change subject a bit so thank you very much for this uh, this uh, experience and all these reflections they're really valuable uh, for us and I would like to speak a bit about your experience in Europark. You've been the president of Europark since 2014, if I'm not mistaken. Um, first of all, how all the experience that you gathered during your career, which is vast, uh, how did you apply your experience? Uh, how it was useful when you started working as Europark president? Well, uh, of course, first thing is that when I became president of Europark Federation, I had the experience of uh, uh, three years being a counselor. Huh? Yeah. So at least well, for me was an advantage, I think, that I could learn a lot about the government and the governance of Europark Federation and not having that huge responsibility as a president. So I could see, I could learn 
I could, of course, uh, also experience what that there is a huge difference because um, huge difference in doing things with your own team in an, in your own environment, and suddenly you have to be aware of a context of yeah members in forty countries uh, having different cultures with different dreams with different politicians, political systems, and so on and so forth. So it was a huge and still is a huge, let's say, uh, learning lesson for me. Mm. And, I, and I thank Europark Federation for that to, 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 to really to experience that. So I could learn first year and then two, the first three years. And then in 2014, uh, when I became uh, president of Europark Federation, um, that was for me, I think, an opportunity, of course. But on the other hand, I thought, okay, what can I bring to the table, which was what is not known yet. First, of course, you can help members. And I think that's the most valuable we have. That's our members. These are, our members are the eyes, the ears, the, the helping hands. So without members, we are no network, of course. And that's something you have to spread through the grapevine. We have to make members proud they are part of our network, the biggest network in Europe with 40 million hectares uh, in 40 countries. Uh, it's it's really unbelievable how strong we can be. And um, so try to go to those members and tell this story about what they can bring and uh, not only what they can get because they can you can bring a lot. Eh? I, can, I can say you to my organization in Belgium, uh, all, nearly all our European projects that we were successful in f originated from the conferences of Europark Federation, where we found our counterparts uh, to, 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 to make and to design new projects. So that was one thing. So be aware of the members and try to, yeah, to give them a warm nest to lay their eggs and, and, and grow and hatch and match and dispatch, as they say, but really do that. On the other hand, of course, and it was a secondly, is what can we extend our network as protected areas? Yeah. Mm -hmm. We were very, very familiar in the beginning with protected areas as national parks, of course, uh, which was the, 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 the large trunk of our network. So there are a lot of more protected areas across Europe, of course, and how can we broaden the family was, and it still is, the, I think, a huge opportunity to follow because when uh, yeah, subsidies, and uh, will 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 fail. Then you always have your friendly family to help you, and that's yeah. It's also a two-way direction. Eh? We have to learn in that because we, we we I think we have to admit that we made make some mistakes every now and then. Everybody makes mistakes. Also, we did. So, but learn from each other, and 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 really, yeah. We we are those. Let's say members and sections. If they are uh, in in a section, who work shoulder to sh shoulder to protect wildlife and in the end, our own society in, in throughout Europe. Uh, so that was, that was membership is still, still fantastic. And the other interesting thing was you, that Europark Federation was not only really focusing on protected areas, but also what do we do in these protected areas? So the, the Charter of Sustainable Tourism, Transboundary Parks, all these commissions that we start on health or on agriculture, that was interesting. And for me, the biggest, I think, uh, idea was, uh, no, not the idea, discovery was that Europark Federation in origin had also the culture part included in their network. 
but we were forgotten that, let's say, culture, how do people in Hungary work towards towards biodiversity with also this culture part from from singing and dancing within and that's something that Europe Park really needs to how to say to care about because it's so 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 interesting because it connects people you were with me in Portugal in the Magic Mountains for I think the the conference and then where we can dance and sing together with the culture Mm -hmm. It, it is a different kind of connection we have a connection by wildlife, but a connection by culture and experience these new ways of looking to areas, rural areas, protected areas, species. It's really a value that we cannot lose in the future because I think it becomes more important uh, in the future. So that was that. And then, of course, yeah, let's say by doing these projects, you come into a more and more, uh, let's say, economical um relation within uh, with with wildlife so that was where i could bring my my knowledge about socioeconomic benefits uh, ecosystem services also climate change came in later that was something i really uh, uh let's say liked to bring into to the council and throughout uh, the membership um and of course and that was i think uh, an interesting and, and a good way and thank you to the council and also to to uh, the directorate to support in the, the idea to to bring also let's say the peri-urban parks into the family uh, because we see in the western european context a lot of protected areas are peri-urban and uh, so i think we did a really good job and uh, and thank you to also to Feder Natur, thank you to them that they made this happen so that's why i said earlier on that parks are far more than only the national parks. The national parks are our brothers. We have nephews and nieces, and we have to think about them. The regional parks, for instance, like the Perry and Urban Parks are so, so, so important. And the next thing, and maybe the last thing, and that's something for the next years, I think, is to grow into new partnerships where also fundraising needs to be, I think, higher on the agenda. Yeah, thanks, because I, I, I'm glad that you mentioned um, this role that Europarfi uh, fills in, uh, in Europe for um, providing this space to exchange, to network and to learn from each other. Because we are all the time, since we started the interview, we were speaking about connections and the things, uh, the first thing that we have to do, I guess, is connect ourselves. So um, we are happy to uh, do or facilitate this job through Europark. And well, as uh, regarding your pres- presidency, um, your mandate is coming to an end. Uh, mm-hmm. The next month, uh, you will be no longer Europe president. However, your legacy is big, uh, as we are learning your perspective, the perspective that you have um, and experience that you have um, brought to this institution is great and has been of a great support. My question in this regard will be, how do you envision the work that you have done for Europark to be continued? It's a, it's a double question, actually. One question is, how do you envision the, the continuity of your work? And if you have achieved everything you wanted during your presidency? Yeah. So when it comes to continuity, I think the council, the two last councils, we invested in uh, trying to build a stable organization, a stable network organization financially, but also in the structure. Um, 
And with uh, the internal auditor, we also try to evolve, uh, evaluate ourselves. We, we build a system to evaluate where are we good in, what are we lacking, uh, and things like that. So I think within the, for the continuity, I think we have a, build a kind of a structure where whoever it is feels at least a professional structure, but also uh, has, let's say, a supportive and a stable network mm. structure to govern. Yeah. Huh? So the next president has something to, to build on. So that's the continuity. The, the other thing in the continuity is, of course, finding the right people on the right spot. And as we know that cover, the government of an organization, a network organization like Europark Federation, you need to be to, to be featured not only by the by science of, for instance, wolves or spiders, uh -huh. but you know have to know how an organization works. And we have these people included in our network. And sometimes people are doubting, can I do this? Uh, should I be ready for that? So I would say to every member who is listening, please take a step forward because if you are experienced a bit or, or a lot on organization work on in, in, in organizations, please step forward. We, we need you. Huh? We need you. And if it isn't in the in the in the council, there are a lot of commissions and work groups, working groups where we can can really uh, uh, where you can help us to grow. So that's on the continuity. I think hopefully we can stabilize also the directorate for the future, where we really have let's say a stable team of like 10, 15 people that that really can, uh, let's say, um, help councillors and every member uh, that uh, can help every member to grow in their regions, but also interconnect with other regions and parks in, 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 in Europe. On the other hand, the other thing about the legacy is, of course, as we are the biggest in Europe, there is a special position for Europe, the, the, the EU. The EU is, of course, I think, yeah, the uh, the unit, the political level where we have to connect with on the highest possible level. And that means with commissioners, with the president, we have to show that we are big and we can because we are uh, evidence-based, I think. So investing in the EU, uh, for instance, on the cap, on the... Uh, so on like agri agriculture, biodiversity, also on sustainable economy, circular economy, we have to be in touch. And that's, of course, hard work because the result of lobbying and influencing is not always seen by members. But be sure, I can assure you, it really helps. There is also always a very close connection with, let's say, financial means that are available for doing projects. So investing in Europe is something I really would like to see go forward. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm really confident that it, it goes like that. Uh, that's not a problem at all. And the other thing is, and this may be the last thing as, as something I would really would like to, to see, and that's, yeah, the family of Europark Federation. Mm. The best uh, connection you can have is uh, the connection of love, of course. Uh, so uh, we need to invest in, a, in in this friendly network that 
feels closely connected with each other, with each other, with each other. And of course, there will be debates and difficulties and and, and diff different opinions. But if you really stick to that goal, that without us and without the work of all the members, yeah, the world is really collapsing. So we need these protected areas as the cradles for life, as the cradles for and the corridors for the future, because they need us to rebuild the world and, and, and nature, to rebuild wildlife, to rebuild biodiversity, and from then on to, be, to build on a society where not only we, but also the future generations can have a very beautiful life. Thank you very much, Ignas. And I would also like to thank, uh, now that we have the opportunity to all Europark members and especially to all the people that is actively engaged in commissions, in council, in projects, in any action, any support that um, they are providing to Europark because without you will that we will definitely not exist this is um yeah it's like it's a community as you were uh, saying ignace and this is what really uh, uh, makes us uh, waking up in the morning and keep working for nature thank you for that that's a beautiful what you say Fernando. that's what, what it is you like to, to to get up in the morning and say hey, okay i'm going to work it's not something that uh, annoys me, but I really like to do so. And I think thousands of people working in the environment are, are really passionate and doing this with, let's say, yeah, with love. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and thanks, Ignace, uh, again for, for this interview. We are coming to an end. And to end with, um, I would like to hear a bit about your uh, most recent uh, accomplishments. I heard that you have uh, published a book or you are in the way of publishing a book. Mm -hmm. That, that that is correct. So I during COVID times, uh, I had a little bit of mm -hmm. time, and uh, so I thought, oh, maybe I need to write a book. And I, uh, so I'm the, the the writing is finished. It's normally it will be launched uh, in November, and it's called in English "Saved by a Tree Frog," and it's all about uh, let's say care, and if we uh, as a humanity can safeguard biodiversity biodiversity will save us that's let's say in just one sentence what the book is all about but it's of course built up by uh, situations relations with the economy with climate change with social inclusion and also with a big big uh, new idea to save the world but i leave that for the readers ah. thank you very much for this uh, um short summary and uh all the best with the with the book with the publications i hope that you have a great success with it thanks to all our listeners uh, for being here we will keep releasing um, new episodes new podcasts with exciting interviews and uh, cases and stories from our community from the europark uh, network thanks again for being here and stay tuned for new releases goodbye Europark Podcasts, Voices from the Parks.